Welcome, everybody. It's time for another episode of Asher Sales Sense, brought to you by Asher Strategies, the only global sales training company that integrates leading sales methodologies and the latest neuroscience studies into a simple and repeatable, that's the key, simple and repeatable 10-step process for sales success. Thank you, Paul. Paul is our announcer for Asher Sales Sense, and I'm Dave Potts in the Asher Strategies studio in Washington, D.C., Our host today is John Asher, CEO and founder of Asher Strategies, and the title of the show is Two Things CEOs Should Look For in Hiring Top-Performing Salespeople. John's guest is Karen Kaplan, President and CEO of Frida's Specialty Produce in Los Alamitos, California. John, over to you. Karen, so great to have you on the show. Welcome. Well, thanks, John. I'm I'm very excited. Yeah, so it's great to have you on the show because, as you know, I've been an admirer of your company, you and your sister, and how you've run things. So, oh, it all great. So, how did you get the company started? Well, back in 1962, my mom, Frida, was working on the uh, wholesale produce market in downtown Los Angeles and was encouraged to start a business on her own. Back in 1962, she was the only woman on the market. And so she started the company and my sister and I had the chance to work summers and vacations, never in a million years thought we'd go into business with our mom. And then as things would happen, totally, I guess by luck and destiny is I joined my mom in the company in 1977 when I graduated from college. And then about six years later, my sister joined the company. And then we actually bought the company from our parents in 1990 a great rich family history. Say, let the audience know exactly what you all do. I mean, I know it's so great, but let them know. So we distribute and market exotic fruits and vegetables. And you've probably heard about the one that we're most famous for, and that's the kiwi fruit. It was my mom that brought the kiwi fruit to America in 1962, right after she started the company. And we've actually had a hand in introducing over 200 new and unusual fruits and vegetables. I'll name a few so you have context. Remember, we're in 2020 right now, so it's been 58 years. So if you think of spaghetti squash or sun-dried tomatoes or fresh herbs or alfalfa sprouts or, of course, kiwi fruit, pink grapefruit, mangoes, purple potatoes, pearl onions, that's just to name a few of the things that we've introduced. And of course, one of my personal favorites is hot chili peppers. We were the people that introduced the habanero chili pepper, which is a hundred times hotter than a jalapeno. And now of course that's considered mild because now we have the Trinidad scorpion and the ghost pepper, which people just go crazy for. Oh gosh. You know, I was in, in submarines for a whole career and I had a captain of the submarine. When we would watch the movie, everybody would eat popcorn, and he would literally throw jalapenos down like popcorn. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I want to meet that guy. That sounds great. And, and by the way, we market our products throughout North America primarily. So if one of your listeners goes into a supermarket and sees something packaged with purple and it looks kind of crazy, it's probably from Frida's. Speaking of purple, I've traveled throughout Asia extensively over many years. Mangosteen is one of my favorites. Yes, my mom actually brought the first mangosteen into the United States. I was still in high school, and they came from Belize. And that was before, you know, the Internet and before a lot of technology. And it wasn't until after the fruit got here that they discovered it was not permitted. It was a high-risk fruit. So we had a one and only shipment. And then fast forward to about seven or eight years ago, we started importing mangosteen again from Thailand. 
I'll be darned. That's so, that's so interesting. Well, I, I think that it's just one of the best fruits ever. Yeah, some people say it tastes like a fruit salad, right? A yeah. complete fruit salad. And so for those of you listening, it's a purple hard-shelled round fruit with a thick <clears throat> brown stem on the top. And you stick your two thumbs in the top and you kind of pop it open. And inside are these creamy white pieces of segments of fruit that literally explode in your mouth. And it tastes like a fruit salad. Oh my God! I'm getting I'm getting hungry for one just hearing you talk about it. <laughs> We've known each other for quite some time, and your company has a great reputation for professional uh, training and that techniques and that sort of thing. So, what got you into that? Because many people would call uh, groceries kind of a commodity product. Yes, the wholesale produce business is pretty basic. When I started, I was coming in at two o'clock in the morning because that's when we do business on the wholesale produce market. Going home at four or five in the afternoon. But I remember I must have gotten a flyer in the mail for some kind of seminar. And I remember going to professional development seminar and just being really intrigued. Actually, at the time, the seminar was on neuro-linguistic programming, which is kind of a precursor to some of the work you do with the APQ. And also, my boyfriend at the time went to Dale Carnegie, the Dale Carnegie sales course. He was working for a computer company. And when I heard the words Dale Carnegie, I kind of rolled my eyes because it sounded so old school. And what it turned out is that actually some of the basics that they teach are pretty incredible. So I went and took the Dale Carnegie sales course. And that's when I kind of developed my love for learning about sales as a profession. Previously, I would say that when I said to someone, when they said, what'd you do? And I said, oh, I'm in the produce business and I sell produce and they would think of sales and they wouldn't think of sales as anything professional. I mean, it's kind of like you think of a used car salesperson when you think of sales. People don't say, oh, I want to go into sales. But after I took Dale Carnegie, I really saw that sales was a lot about psychology and strategy and planning. And so I was fascinated. So over the years, I kept that quest for learning. I've always done a lot of reading and and I'm just fascinated with it. So that was kind of how I got my start and it's paid off. Oh, no, it's terrific. You know, a lot of people that, especially engineers and that sort of thing, who've never had sales training don't like sales because as as you know, the image of sales is the used car salesperson or the pushy salesperson. Mm -hmm. But when you really think about sales, it's all about building rapport with other people helping figure out what they need. And then as the late great Zig Ziglar used to say, help people get what they need. And that's a great life when you can do that. Absolutely. So after Dale Carnegie, then what? I took Dale Carnegie, I took the sales course and really learned a lot. And because you and I know each other, you would probably not be surprised when I tell you that of the two awards they gave at the end of the class, for the sales talk competition and the one who did the most for the class being competitive. Of course, I won both awards, which they had never had happened. And so I was really hooked on Dale Carnegie. So I, then I took the management course and that was an eight week program. And I remember the instructor talking about how management was really an art and a science. So what I found over the years is that I needed some way to continually develop my skills. And this is again, before the internet, before podcasts, before audiobooks. And I was introduced to this organization of 
CEOs that meet once a week, and that's how I met you, and that's through Vistage. And I know there are many other organizations similar to Vistage around the world, but to have that get-together once a month with a peer group of CEOs to deal with issues and questions really kept stimulating my interest in learning. And one of the things I like most about Vistage is that eight times a year, a speaker comes in, a world-class speaker comes in and teaches you something in three to four hours that you would never have a chance to learn about otherwise. So I really found myself being stimulated intellectually by that eight times a year outside speaker. Then I went to a Vistage International Conference and I got to meet and talk with and listen to Patrick Lencioni, who's written oh, really? like countless books. I love Pat. He's written The Advantage. He's written The um, Getting Naked, The Five Obsessions of a CEO. And again, I was just so fascinated that I realized this love for lifelong learning really was a love for lifelong learning. So whenever I get an opportunity to listen to someone and to learn something, and now much of it's by audiobooks, I take advantage of, of them. And that's when I met you. I met you through Vistage, and you kind of told me the same thing about how you took all those great ideas, and you and your business partners would come back every month and talk about, so what was the one great good idea that I could yep. use at the company? And I remember you talking about how the growth with your company was explosive. So I've never told you this before, but that was kind of my model in my head is what could I take back without making the people in my company crazy that could really help the performance <laughs> of my company? Well, you know how it is. We call it the vestige effect, right? So you come yeah. back the next day. But my passion, John, has always been around sales. I'm a natural born salesperson. I really didn't realize it was a natural born salesperson until one of the vestige speakers saw my profile at a meeting that I was not at and said, whose profile is this? And my sister said, oh, that's my sisters, my business partners. And he said, I have never seen a profile like that. She's crazy. She's kooky. You need to have her on the road, out of the office. This person is a natural at building rapport and closing business. She should be on the road all the time. And that's when kind of the light bulb went off for me. No, that's so, that's so great. Speaking of this, when I left the Navy, and started an engineering company with two other engineers, frankly, just selling back to our friends in the Navy. I didn't know a lot about business. So when I joined the Vistas group, it was, it was, it filled in the holes of, I know you know this statement, mm -hmm. the worst is not knowing what you don't know. So that's what Vistas really did for me. And 75 speakers over nine years was just it's the same experience you had, just terrific. Absolutely. And, and I, um, I, I just met so many world-class speakers and, and I don't think, John, honestly, a month does not go by than when I'm talking with my, I don't run the sales team, obviously, anymore, but working with the sales team or any of my managers, that I don't quote someone I heard speak at a Vistage meeting, including yourself. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You mentioned the Vistage effect. I'll just let your listeners know, since if you're not in Vistage, you don't know what that means. My own experience was I would come back from, I'm an idea guy just like you, so I'd come back from the Vistas meeting and the VPs would hide from me. <laughs> because they knew, oh, I know I why. Them, <laughs> they knew I was going to give them three new things to work on and they hadn't heard the speaker. That didn't go over too well. And then, as you know, the Vistas sessions are taped. And so I'd say, okay, guys, you got to listen to this three-hour tape. Well, that didn't go over too well. Nobody wants to listen to a three-hour tape. 
I know. That's why I was taught about the cooling off period. Like really you need to take two or three days after the meeting to digest, which is what I do with any new idea. I've, I've learned like you have that it may be so obvious to you as CEO, but sometimes you need to digest that and give it out in bite-sized pieces. John, excuse me. It's time to take a quick commercial break. Over 200 correlation studies show that natural aptitude is the most significant factor in predicting sales success. Asher's Advanced Personality Questionnaire, the APQ, consistently identifies peak performers in outside sales, inside sales, sales management, customer support, and 17 other business positions. Go to asherstrategies.com today or call 866-833-9941. That's Asher Strategies at 866-833-9941. Now back to John and Karen. So just to finish that discussion, Karen, so what I did is I got my three VPs and key groups, and that made a tremendous difference. And I know Absolutely. You your I did, I did the same sisters. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's been terrific. So I know over your whole career, you've, uh, like me, you've hired a number of salespeople over the years. So what are you really looking for? What are some of the keys? Because that, that's what the listeners are really looking to know from an experienced CEO like you. What, from a CEO perspective, what are you looking for when you're hiring a new salesperson? Is it culture? Is it aptitude? Is it grip? I'm the CEO of my company, and I, I actually sit right outside the sales department. Our process here at Frida's in hiring people is that if it's a key position like a sales position, we're going to have probably five people on a panel that are going to be interviewing. And I'm always part of that panel because I feel like I have a really good sense about what it takes to be a good salesperson. But over the years, what I've discovered is you can always hire for experience. I feel like that's a coin toss. You've got a 50-50 chance of someone's experience is really going to make a difference. You can hire for aptitude, which is good, and I could talk about that in a second. But what I've actually learned over the years that the number one thing for hiring is to make sure you have a culture match. You do not want to hire a renegade or a cowboy, as I call them, to come in your company and think they're going to do it their way. Now, for our company, Frida's, you know, we're well known in the produce industry and we are known for our variety and our specialty program is we have a certain way, honestly, that we sell. We have a certain product line. We have the features and benefits. So we're looking for someone that's going to get us, this woman-owned, family-owned business that's completely passionate about changing the way consumers eat, changing their lives. If someone's not a culture fit, if they're a BS artist or if they're really stubborn or they just don't seem to be a match, they get turned out of the interview process early on. We say, I say in the company, culture's number one. I don't care about anything else first. Number one is culture. So we have quite a process for interviewing. One of my mantras is hire slow and fire fast. I was talking to a candidate a month ago who we ended up hiring and he commented that his process had been three months to get to interview with me. And I said, well, that's part of the way we do here at things at Frida's were pretty thorough. If you're frustrated right now with the process, you're going to be frustrated working for us. We don't do things really quickly. Number one is culture. And the best way to test for culture is we have a cross-section of people that know the position and that would work with the person in the position. And they individually interview someone. They have set interview questions. And then we get together afterwards and we do a scoring of one to 10 
what we think of the candidate as a match for the position, and then we ask for the people to share what their concerns are about culture match. Who would they not work well with? Who would they work well with? So number one, first cut is culture. Great. And um, when we look at the great salespeople now, it's uh, all about the art of the sale, the process, being able to use the right technology, and also understanding the latest neuroscience. And when you take some great hunter salespeople, they aren't the great learners like you and I are, right? I'm continuously mm-hmm. learning. Reading. I read, I've read 800 books. So you really want the people that are, that are willing to continuously learn and change and improve and that sort of thing. That's what I'm always looking for, too. We have five values in our company, being respectful, results-oriented, collaborative, going above and beyond, and staying curious. And that really goes to staying curious, that constant need for learning. And we talk about the the core values when we're interviewing. That's how we find out. So you're probably wondering, since I know you because of the work you've done with Asher, um, APQ, excuse me, obviously Asher, APQ is that natural born salesperson. Why do we assess that and how important is that? And over the years, John, for more than 20 years, I've used a personality assessment. The one I used to use uh, 40 years ago was DISC. We migrated to one called McQuig, which is really about just personality style because that's part of someone's fit in the position. And then I discovered the APQ through your firm. And what you showed me was that there's actually a profile for a natural born salesperson. So what we do is we use the APQ and the personality assessment, McQuig, both of them, and our people, our managers are trained on using it. And we say, for a fact, every single time that we have ignored one of those profiles and gone with experience or the guy has really good contacts or he was just so wonderful in the interview, every single time. That person has not worked out. And we know the cost of bringing someone on board and training them is at least one year's full salary. And our people are making a ton of money, six figures, when we bring them into sales. We cannot afford to make that mistake. So when we interview, we go for culture match first, and then we go for that aptitude in the position. And I will say that the biggest challenge as a sales manager, as an HR person, or as a CEO, it's really tempting to settle. I mean, I've done it. My people have done it. They're allowed one mistake in their career at Frida's, that kind of mistake. (laughs) But it's so tempting to settle. When we have this panel that does the interviewing, there's five or six different people when we come together to do this review is we all say it's okay for us not to settle. If this person on a scale of one to 10 does not get a nine or a 10, eight, nine or 10 in the rating system, they're out. No matter how much we like them, how many contacts they have, how great their recommendations are, the fact is they have to be a culture match for our company and they have to have a natural aptitude for the sales position. No, I couldn't agree more. And I'll tell you my own version. Every time I've hired somebody who did not have the right talent for that role, it bit me right in the butt. Oh, I know. I can tell you stories, John, that I don't want to share. Very expensive stories. They're very expensive stories. Right now, they claim if somebody's in the six-figure range like you have, to hire the wrong person is a $250,000 hiring mistake. You know, because of the sales you didn't get that you should have gotten and some of the customers you might have made mad. 
Oh my God. And then, and then, you know, then the bad will that they spread in the company. And then you have people are concerned about the turnover in your company, which you don't think about. You think about all the other costs, but what's the effect on all the other employees? Another thing we do, I just realized this, is we actually bring in potential salespeople after they've gone through our entire panel. We bring them in and let them sit in the office for three or four hours. So they can actually see what the job is, what the company's like, what the culture's like. We have two salespeople that they're matched up with, and those salespeople get to tell us their opinion of the salesperson that we're interviewing. And the residual benefit of that is they feel bought in and they feel important, these existing salespeople, because their opinion matters. That's great. I've never actually heard that technique before. I think that's great. Excuse me. Unfortunately, it's time for the wrap-up. Damn it, Dave. Where'd the time go? So, Karen, can you leave uh, our listeners, it's been such a great interview, can you leave our listeners with a couple of main points and think that most of them are probably CEOs, sales managers, and salespeople? Well, first of all, I'd say don't settle. When you're recruiting and hiring for positions, don't settle, number one. Number two is culture's number one, that you want to make sure someone's a match for your company. And then I would say number three is hire slow and fire fast. When you bring someone on board, you know, I would say within a week or two, if they're going to work out or not. And if they're not gonna work out, why prolong the pain? In fact, you heard the same vicious speaker I heard. Hire <laughs> probably hire quickly. <laughs> yes, well, I've heard many speakers, maybe not as many as you, but I will tell you again, to this day, I still, Think about the lessons I've learned from this process of ongoing, continuous learning that I learned from all those fantastic speakers. If people wanted to contact you, but how would they find out about Fritos? Well, the best place is to go to our website, www.fritas, which is F as in Frank, R-I-E-D-A-S.com, to fritas.com, and there's a place that you can contact us. My name is Karen Kaplan, C-A-P-L-A-N, so it's Karen.Kaplan at Fritas.com. Also, I'm a blogger. Besides all this other stuff I do, I write a a weekly blog called What's on Karen's Plate. Talk mostly about life, a little bit about business, and every once in a while I talk about the produce I sell. I would reinforce that. I think think your blog is terrific. I subscribe to your blog. It's great. Well, good. That's Thank you. I'm going to give you a break this week because of Christmas. (laughs) I'm disappointed. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll take the break. I got too much going on with kids and grandkids. Well, so great and I'm going to be sure and send you some mangosteen, John, when I get some in season, because I didn't realize that oh was your gosh. favorite fruit. Oh, it's my favorite fruit. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you, John and Karen. That's all the time we have for today. For our listeners, be sure to join us again next week at the same time. From now until then, John Asher reminds us to please, please get out there and sell something. Paul, take it away. <laughs> You've been listening to another episode of Asher Sales Sense right here on Asher Strategies Radio. 